Greetings, welcome to the online church service for St Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. My name's Adam Draycott. It's great to be doing church with you. Uh, this is our service for the 27th of September. Let's open with a time of prayer. Father, show your mighty power in your mercy and forgiveness. Continue to fill us with your gifts of love. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you that we can share in the joys of your kingdom. Father, we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in one and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. we come to the ministry of God's Word, I invite you to take a moment, if you haven't already, to read through Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, and Psalm 51. And when you've done that, please join me as we read together Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those, who, uh, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. But when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the ones who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. We continue our series 
in the parables of Jesus, let's ask for God's help as we come to Matthew chapter 20. Loving Father, we ask for your help. Please speak to our hearts and our minds. Show us the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus Christ. Lead us in the way of faith and repentance and that we would grow in Christ and that you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How much do Aussies love a good underdog story? Is there any better underdog story than Steve Bradbury? Uh, he's the Australian short track speed skater, trained in Blacktown, not far from where I grew up, which isn't exactly known for its ice and snow. The 2002 Winter Olympics at Salt Lake, he's the oldest bloke in the field. He only made the quarterfinal because, well, someone else was disqualified. He came second in the semis because others crashed. And then the final, where he applied the same strategy, and the strategy, you know it. He stayed last in the hope of coming first. And of course, if you've seen the footage, he gets into the final lap, the final corner. He's 15 metres behind the, the pack. There's 50 metres to go in the race and crash. Goal to Australia. It's fantastic. Uh, the USA Today newspaper reported the first winter gold medal in the history of Australia fell out of the sky like a bagged goose. He looked like the tortoise behind four hairs. Stephen Bradbury later on said that he didn't know whether to celebrate or to go and hide in a corner. He came last in order to come first. It's interesting because as we come to Matthew chapter 20 verse 1, the verse immediately prior, chapter 19 verse 30, if you can see it, it says, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. And then if I turn my page to chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus says again, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So to our parable, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, a landowner needs workers. Of course he does. He recruits day labourers. And as the day wears on, he needs more workers. So he goes back several times until it is one hour before quitting time and he just keeps recruiting all day, all day. And at the end of the story, the vineyard owner does something a bit strange. At the end of the day, verse 8, he calls them all together, or the foreman does, and verse 9, he pays the men who only worked one hour a full day's pay. A full day. One denarius. Uh, this shockingly generous act, of course, it creates a buzz in the crowd. The workers who laboured all day, well, they're quickly doing the sums, aren't they? Of course they are. And what's, what's the end result? What happens? You know what happens. Verse 10. When those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Of course they did. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. 
and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And on it goes. I mean, what on earth ever happened to a hard day's work for a hard day's pay? I mean, imagine if the union movement, uh, what they would do with this. There would be outrage. There would be strikes. There would be all sorts of performance. Now stop, take a breath, have a think. Who is the landowner? If you said God, correct. And uh, who are the labourers that are there originally? In the Old Testament, who are described as being God's vineyard? Isaiah describes Israel this way. So Israel are first here, I think. Uh, certainly Romans chapter 1 verse 16 supports this idea where the apostle writes I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew Israel and then to the Gentile first to Israel then to the nations that's what and this is a story this is how the story of salvation rolls right in the Bible the promise of salvation in the Christ that's coming, it comes through Israel first, and then later it goes out to all of the nations. And so the latecomers to the vineyard then are, they're the other nations, the Gentiles, everybody else who's uh, not a Jew. And was Israel... And were their leaders, were they happy about this prospect? No, no, they weren't. Did they hold such pride in their sacrifices that no one else could possibly be deserving? Did they hate the prospect of others being welcomed and rewarded? Yeah, they did. Uh, again, this is Jesus sticking it to his own people. He's sticking it to Israel and their leaders. And that's all well and nice. But we sit here, don't we? We, we look at this, this story and we go, well, well, that's all well and good. What are the implications for us today? Do we just rejoice at being the last? Hooray! And yeah, sure, why not? I mean, do we think coming last? It's still way better than hell, isn't it? Yeah, I'll take it. Such is God's love and such is his mission. He saves us for a purpose. He saves us so that we can serve him and glorify him. But, well, there's more to do. So let's do it. See, what is the story immediately prior to this one? In chapter 19, it's the story about the rich, young ruler. And that's worth a read uh, from verse 16 onwards. And if you know the story, did, did the rich young ruler come at the cost of following Jesus? And the answer is, no, he didn't. And, and that is absolutely shocking to the disciples that he didn't. Because the rich young ruler, well, he was a nice enough bloke, surely, Jesus. He was proud of his sacrifices. He kept the commandments. He was a moral citizen. And if he doesn't cut it, then who does, right? And the disciples are shocked at this prospect. And they even ask in verse 25 of chapter 19, 
Jesus, who then can be saved? And then thinking about sacrifices, because the rich young ruler had made them, in verse 27, the apostle Peter, he's a disciple here, he says, we have left everything to follow you. What shall there be for us? See, what is this all for? What are all these sacrifices for then? And then Jesus goes on to tell them that their sacrifices will be rewarded. So look at verse 28. Jesus says, I tell you truly, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so let's pause for a sec. The rich young ruler goes away empty-handed. That's ironic. But the empty-handed disciples become rulers. They, they sit on 12 thrones. Now, that's a massive promise by Jesus. I wonder if, if you were the disciple, would you get so hung up on that? The idea that, wow, you're going to, be, uh, you're going to sit on the throne with Jesus next to Jesus. I mean, you're going to rule. Would you get hung up on that? And, and no doubt that's an idea that would be hard to let go of. And it's interesting because by the time we get to chapter 20, verse 20, someone's mum is nudging Jesus and it, she's asking, hey, Jesus, my boys, can they have the best seats next, right next to you? Hey, Jesus, can my sons, can they be first? And so you begin to see that, I wonder, are they suffering, the disciples, are they suffering from a bad case of self-congratulation? Hey, look, we've made the right choice and now we've been rewarded. Let's ask for the best seats. Can we be first now? Which really makes them no better than the rich young ruler who thought exactly the same way. I mean, with the disciples, sure, they've made the wiser choice to follow Jesus. Big tick. But do we see both the rich young ruler and the disciples, they're both suffering from a bad case of taking pride in their sacrifices. Which sounds suspiciously like salvation through merit, salvation by works. But this parable, when we come to chapter 20, it's the antidote to that thinking. It's a roadblock to that kind of thinking. It, this is why this parable is so essential in Matthew's Gospel. It begs the question, do we get proud of the sacrifices that we make? So it kind of works like this. Let me paint a picture for you. In Baraba, uh, Baraba Anglican Church, we would have big working bees back when I was there. And a big working bee would involve spending a big part of the morning, big part of the day even. We would excavate pigeon poo out of the bell tower at St. Lawrence's Anglican Church, Baraba. 
And you, we would go on and sell it, we'd bag it, and it would get sold. Uh, you could buy Anglican pigeon poo. That was part of the deal. Uh, a dozen or so, on these big days, a dozen or so would work up, would turn up, maybe more, work hard all morning, and the highlight was it was somebody's particular job to, to provide morning tea. That was just their job, and they did it magnificently. So Julia Frost, she was uh, one lady who would do this, uh, and it was sensational. But you know how these church working bees can happen? It doesn't happen in Inverell so much, but you know, just go with me a little bit. There's always the latecomers, aren't there? And can you see this spectacular morning tea taking place? Worked so hard, and the latecomers have strolled on in, and they're hoeing in now. And what what might be the temptation to think? Are you going to start thinking, hey, hey, you got no right to that lovely morning tea? You haven't done anything. You got to go and earn it. You rat bag, ping ding. Is that what you're tempted to think? And do you see at that point? our entitlement being triggered. It, it, it's not just me, is it? it yeah, okay. But, but here's a flip side as well. See, what if you're the one that arrives late? And, and instead of hoeing in, imagine you're the person that is actually instead wrapped with guilt. When we see all the hard work everyone else has done, and because they're kind, well, they, they, this lot are kind, and they're actually inviting us to stay and to share and enjoy the spoils, to enjoy the benefits, but you can't. And the reason you can't is because you feel like you're an imposter and you haven't done the work to earn this gift that's being put before you, the, the beautiful morning tea. And in our embarrassment, do we know that that's pride? That such is our embarrassment such as our feeling of unworthiness, that actually refusing this kindness really does come down to our pride. And, and this is what happens when we compare ourselves to others. Our, our selfishness can rise or our entitlement can rise or maybe we suffer a fear of missing out or when we start comparing that that can produce a, the sin of envy or, or the sin of self-congratulation or, or worse, even rivalry. We compare what we have or what we don't have against others who do or don't and we do it as individuals. <laughs> Farmers do it, don't they? Sorry. Um, social media is a trap for it. We do it in our families, you know, how does it go in the family household? How come they, dot, dot, dot. Sadly, churches do it as well. And we need to stop comparing. We spend too much time looking horizontally sideways in an unhelpful way. And what we need to do is actually take our eyes off looking sideways and horizontally and take our eyes vertically and look to God. We need to look to the landowner and see what he says. What does he have to say? And we need to listen with interest. Verse 13, 
He answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for, de for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the ones who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? See, see what the landowner is saying. No one is underpaid in this parable. No one misses out. This is a complaint being made by people who have been justly paid. And so see the landowner here. See that God is not unfair. He is just. He just doesn't do things the way you might do them or the way I might do them. God is saying clearly here, hey, it's all mine and I, I do what I want. You don't get to decide what's best, I do. <laughs> and that's, you know, that takes us back to the garden, doesn't it? Where we think we know better. God says, no, you don't. I'm not unfair. It is all mine and I will do as I, I deem fit. And that for us is a pride swallow. God is saying here, even when it comes to dispensing gifts or blessing and grace, it is all his to give. And so he will give as he deems appropriate, as he wants to. But you've got to see the other thing here. The other thing is that no one actually misses out. No one misses out. So do we then see, see the mistake of casting a calculating eye over the measure of God's love? To think of God's goodness in terms of what I'm due, what I'm owned. It's to fail to see the overabounding love of God, which washes over the one to the many. It's to fail to see that God's love is incalculable. It's immeasurable. It's abundant. And here we see it's equal. Do you see the thing going on here is people's inability to see grace. This is the problem of grace. It's to fail to share God's generosity with those we think are otherwise undeserving. Question. So do you suffer from an air of superiority because of your hard work and sacrifices? Do you think, oh, my singing in church is way better than your singing in church? Is that what you think? Do you think, oh, well, my sacrifice as a scripture teacher is way better than your sacrifice of, we are just praying for scripture teachers. Do you think, oh, my sacrifice of giving 20% of my income is way better than your sacrifice of a $5 note? Do you think my sacrifice in leading church is better than your sacrifice? What do you do? You're welcoming or you're serving morning tea or cleaning to toilets. And this parable doesn't allow you to think that. It is a roadblock to such thinking. It tells us don't take pride in your sacrifices. And at the heart of the issue, is our problem with grace, our misunderstanding of grace. We just don't get grace clearly. Verse 12, look at it. These who are hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. See, they're saying it's not fair. 
They're saying they're not happy. They're saying, you know, that unemployed scumbag that no one else would hire, that you took in at the last minute, you made him equal to us. Yet this parable reminds us that all we have is from God. All that we have, all of our blessings, all of God's generosity, it is not our doing. It is just a matter of God's grace and he does what he wants to do. See, how do you go when some psychopath or murderer becomes a Christian? You see that in the news report and they become a Christian. Or a pedophile or a rapist or a porn star or a prostitute. Anyone who turns to Christ in repentance and faith, do you think that's unfair? Do we actually realise that none of us are deserving at that point, yet in eternity those that belong to Christ were treated the same? And that is all of God's grace. I mean, when it comes to a place in heaven, I'll happily sit on the floor if I, as long as it means I have a place. Under the table, gathering crumbs. Yeah, that sounds like a good deal. But you need to belong to Christ. Which means embracing and accepting his sacrifice. Not mine. His sacrifice, and it's not yours. His merit, not your merit. On the cross. Christianity is not about your merit. It is about his merit. When he died in our place on the cross. You can see it there in chapter 20. Look at verse 18. Jesus, it's there in the story. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem the Son of Man will be delivered over to chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. He will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. This is what is coming. Or verse 26, here it is again. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the sacrifice that we are to delight in. Here is a sacrifice through whom we have forgiveness and a right relationship, a peace with God. And so we look to the cross. We see Jesus, the Son of God. We see that he'll come last. That he is the ultimate last place getter and that God will exalt him. That last place becomes first place. And last becomes first, not because we have enough good works, but because we have a good Lord. A good Lord who invites us and calls us even at the last possible hour and then rewards us like we've belonged the whole time. And the gift, the grace, it's so disproportionate. Do you see that? To claim any human effort, it's embarrassing that we would try. The last will be first. So we need to dispense with any notion of superiority. Grace does not permit that. The twelve need to dispense with any notion of superiority. And if the twelve do, you can be sure that we need to as well. No one has the right to preeminence. In the kingdom of heaven, do we see that everybody has won and all must have prizes, and that is all of God's grace. 
And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in response, we are right to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.